Welcome to Rock Solid Ministries Frontline Servants Program, where we visit with men and women on the front lines of kingdom service. For more information about our free revival ministry or to explore more of our audio and video recordings, visit our website at rocksolidministries.org. Again, rocksolidministries.org. Our guest today is Tom McNer- McNerney. I almost messed that up. Preacher at Salisbury Christian Church in Salisbury, Indiana. Now, Tom, we met through your in-laws, if mm-hmm. I remember right, the Meltons, who had I'd known for several years. You all came to lead worship at a revival. I was preaching in Muscle Shoals, Alabama. We were talking about that last night, and we became instant friends. And I had the opportunity to hold a revival for you in Vestaburg, Michigan. That's correct. And... Uh, you and your sweet wife, Rhonda, later led the singing at another revival I was doing there after you had left that particular ministry. Now you're ministering here in Salisbury, and I'm just down the road preaching revival at Worthington, Indiana, and we reconnected this week. So uh, I'm kind of excited about that. I, I want to learn more about you, and I'm, I'm ready to learn more about your life and ministry. So, Brother Tom, tell us your story. Yeah, well... Uh... Tom, thanks for um, allowing me to be a part of this. This is always exciting. Uh, I'm kind of glad it's radio because, you know, like some guys say, I have a face for radio. And so uh, <laughs> I'm glad that we're doing it this way. But, yeah, I was born and raised in a religiously divided family. Growing up, uh, my mother was a faithful Christian, Sunday school teacher, taught second grade for years. Uh, her her family was faithful members of the Ferris Church of Christ outside of Vestburg, Michigan for years. And then uh, she went off to uh, college and met my dad, who was a recalcitrant Catholic, uh, uh-huh. backslidden, kind of black sheep of his family. He didn't attend much, but uh, they fell in love and uh, against the wishes of both uh, sets of their family, uh, they married neither Neither parent showed up for the wedding and got married at a justice of the peace. No kidding. Yeah, and uh, so it, it didn't really start off well, but uh, there's a great ending to their story, and so, you know, I'm excited about that. But mom was always faithful, and, uh, you know, three days after I was born, she took us to church, and, and I was I grew up in the Vesterberg Church of Christ, as you'd already mentioned, there in mid-Michigan. You know, so, I guess I didn't know you grew up in that church. Yeah, that, that was my home church. How and, did I uh, hold two revivals there and not know that? Well, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I guess it's a mystery, but <laughs> <laughs> but no, I did. I went back there uh, after years. I'll show you that a little bit later. But Vesterberg's also the home of Rock Lake Christian Assembly. It's yeah. the, I like the second oldest church camp in our brotherhood and it was the first location of great lakes bible college and an early location of new churches of christ evangelism so uh, a lot of people like to say that uh, central michigan there where vestberg especially is kind of the bible belt of michigan and so that's where i grew up attended church from my birth uh, with faithful old preachers who who retired to rock lake and attended church when I was growing up, a gentleman by the name of Estelle Taylor. I don't know, if, probably nobody remembers him, but he was just a faithful old preacher. And uh, when I was a little kid, uh, he he sat kind of in front of me. And uh, I have to tell you, I hated his posture. What I meant by that is uh, I'd sat kind of behind him, and he was ramrod straight into his 90s. You know, sat there wow. just listening, ramrod straight. Now, of course, I'd slouch over, and I'd get sleepy and I'd start to 
it get a little lower, and my mom would elbow me in the ribs, and she'd say, you see him? He's 90 years old, and he sets up real straight. Why can't you do that? You know, oh. <laughs> that's all I got. I got you know, and I just kind of, <laughs> it was a great man, but uh, I remembered thinking, why does he have to do that to me? <laughs> but, you know, while I was there, I heard men like Wilmer Ballou and Dr. Lewis Foster, whose family oh, had a, sure. they had a, uh, Lewis and his dad, uh, uh, R.C., they had a cottage there on Rock Lake. And so uh-huh. they were there all summer long, um, and, and a lot of others, uh, old-time preachers that uh, came and were in that area because of, you know, we lived a mile from the camp, Rock Lake Christian Assembly. So there, there's a lot of history in that area. And so, you know, uh, I was in church every Sunday. I mean, Mom was really good, but Dad didn't go. Very, you know, they got married, and he kind of promised he'd go to church with her. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that lasted for about a year, and then some little old lady in the church down at Ferris, where they were attending her home church, she said something to him, and I think he was ready to be offended. Right. And so he's offended. He said, I'm never going back to church again. And he didn't for about 30 years. And oh. so, uh, but Mom, uh, she was great. She took us to church, all the kids. I like to say that I slept on the third row back on the left every Sunday, you know, <laughs> growing up. <laughs> that was as a little kid. And it, it must have taken, though, because I think I sensed very early on that I was called into ministry. Now, I don't know that everybody's called into ministry, but I believe that some have a specific call on their life for ministry. Sure. For people that, you know, that that are there, they can tell you, you know, they've that real deep mm-hmm. sense of God's yes. presence and calling in their life. And so uh, I, very early on, I just had this, this sense of God's calling in my life from a very young age. And I was baptized in November, I think, of my, my ninth year. I, I don't know that, you know, some people could say, I can tell you the exact date. I can't tell you the date. I could probably look it up, but I, I can picture it. You know, sure. Roger Sickmiller was the preacher there, and and uh, he he uh, you know he talked to me about it when I was uh, in that that young, and I decided I wanted to become a Christian. And so, you know, you'd have never guessed though that I'd be a preacher because when I went forward at nine years old to be baptized, I bawled like a baby, and everybody thought, "Oh, he's so moved, he's so passionate about it." I wasn't moved as much as I was just scared to death to stand in front of a hundred people on Sunday morning and to say something. You know, I yeah. could hardly talk in front of people. And, uh, you know, but uh, I, I made that decision, was baptized, you know, and I, I look back on that and I look back on my life and I can't help but believe that God was preparing and keeping me for a purpose. Now, I, I probably have to explain that uh, Partly because the other influence in my life, one of the major, my mom was a huge influence, faithful, godly woman who was, you know, regardless of what was going on with dad, she was in church. She was there Sunday morning. She was there helping out. She loved God. She prayed with us, you know, wore out her knees in prayer. Uh, But my granddad was that other great godly influence in my life. And I was fortunate. We lived two and a half miles from grandpa and grandma on the farm. And, uh, you know, Claire Beach, just a wonderful man. He was, uh, what's so amazing, I didn't know some of this until later in my life, but my granddad was instrumental in founding 
uh, Rock Lake Christian Assembly Youth Camp. Now, they had the assembly. They started, they were going for about 10 years where literally 2,000 people would come to Rock Lake. R.C. Foster and some of those old guys would come and they'd have these huge tent meetings. But really? they about 10, 10 years in, they decided to do something for their kids that on a more uh, regular, permanent basis. And so my granddad was at, at instrumental at 19 years of age in founding Rock Lake Christian Assembly Youth Camp. He was one of its first promoters. At 19, after he got out of high school, he bought an old wood panel truck, and he drove around the country, you know, 15 to 20 miles, picking up kids to bring them to camp, you know, on his own on his own dime, wow. as it were, because he just was passionate. He didn't, you know, you'd have thought a guy like that, he'd have gone into full-time ministry. He was a farmer and then owned Farm Bureau, but, but he was just a faithful man of God, and and uh, I, I have to tell you this story because I didn't know this until after he was actually gone. He died when he was 91. Uh, but uh, my mom later told me, and it was just the way he was, he would never tell you this story. But when he was 15, he had a, a cousin who wasn't a Christian. Uh, but he wanted to go to church. But his family didn't want to have anything to do with church. They just weren't church-going folks. And so my granddad would get on his bike, and he would ride three miles, and he would pick this cousin up, just like a second or third cousin, put him on his handlebars, who was a couple years younger than Grandpa, and then they would ride another three miles on to church. He wow. did this every Sunday for years, and uh, that young man became a preacher and the first president of Great Lakes Bible College. Wow. Yeah, so wow. he was... Uh, he was instrumental. I mean, that guy's name was Ralph Woodard. They've named the building, one of the buildings there after him in Lansing. And uh, that's, that's just the kind of guy my granddad was. And he, he was so instrumental. You know, he was, he was 60. Cause I'm a little far down on the grandkids in uh, the line. And he was 60 when I was born. So, you know, he was retired almost a couple years after that. He, he still, I remember when I was a kid going down to the, Farm Bureau, which was a, a couple of blocks from where we lived in town on the railroad tracks and grabbing a Coke out of the old Coke machine. And uh, then he retired, and I think he made it kind of his life mission to keep me on the straight and narrow. Because Grandpa would, uh, he would, he would say, hey, I need to put, I remember one summer, he said, we need to fence in the back 40. He had 80 acres, and he had the oil on the front side and the back side. We need to fence in the back 40. He never told me why, so we spent basically the whole summer hand-digging fence posts to put around the back 40. I don't know that we ever put cattle back there that need to be fenced in. I don't know that he needed a fence as much as he knew I needed something to do, and he right. needed to spend time with me. So six to eight hours a day, for most of that summer, we did that and worked on that. And he'd just pour his heart and his life into me. And, and he was so instrumental in instilling values and just the desire for ministry. I, I have to tell you uh, one more funny story. When I got into college, he was always supportive about, hey, how can I help you? What can I do? What do you need? And, uh, you know, <clears throat> we were I was there back in the late 70s, early 80s in college. And, of course... You know, we were still listening to our music, and we were all collecting uh, 
records and uh, uh, we had stereos, you know, some of us. And so I came home, he said, what do you need? And I said, well, Grandpa, I need something to keep my records in. Well, I was talking about my LPs, right? Oh. So I said, can, what I said was, do you have an old apple crate? Because he had some uh, apple trees, pear trees. I said, he said, well, what do you need that for? And I said, well, I need something to keep my records in. And so, <laughs> I know he he gave me a kind of funny look, and, <clears throat> and I said, there's one. Can I have that? He said, sure. And, uh, and about a week later, <clears throat> when I came home, he had bought, purchased for me a set of file cabinets. To keep my records in, because <laughs> he was thinking different kind of sure. records than I was thinking. But, but he you was, found that to be very helpful, didn't oh, you? Oh yeah, I mean I used that for years afterwards, you know. But it was just that was just how he was. What can I do? How can I help you? You know, is your car running okay? You know, can I help you out with that? As he was so excited that uh, my brother and I were in Bible college and and headed toward ministry, you know. And I just I, I think one of the reasons that I'm convinced that God was keeping and preparing me uh, because there's some incidences in my life that just remind me of his presence. You know, when I was when I was five years old, um, I loved, obviously, to spend time with my granddad out on the farm. And we were out planting wheat, I believe, early in the summer. And we'd plow it up and disc it up, and, and then you drag it, and then you use a grain drill to put the seed in the ground. And a grain drill has got these hoppers on the top and tubes where the grain runs down, the seed down into these little tubes that pop out. And before them, there are these blade discs that open up the ground and the seed pops in. And then behind it is a color packer, which is a heavy, heavy piece of machinery that pushes the ground back over on top of the seed. And so we'd been out there and it must have been close to noon and I figured I was there all day and I'm you know working hard sitting on the fender of that tractor while my granddad drove and I, I look out and I see my mom and my grandmother they're coming up the road uh, in my granddad's old 1963 Ford 500 Galaxy and uh, I just knew I, I needed to get something to eat something to drink and I, I miss my mom so I jumped off the back of the tractor somehow thinking that I could jump off and get out and I didn't. I fell face first, ran over me with the grain drill and the color packer and basically planted me in the ground. Now, mm. <clears throat> it's not very often that that happens and you survive. Right. But, uh, you know, I can't imagine what my mom and my grandmother must have been thinking and they were watching this whole thing happen. And uh, the next thing I remember is waking up in old Doc Silvert's office in town and uh, him just cleaning dirt out of my mouth and my ears and my eyes and saying basically to my mom, well, it's a miracle. He said, there's nothing broken. Really, the only thing that's wrong is that he's full of dirt. <laughs> and uh, I, I survived that, you know, mm. run over by farm machinery. Um, I survived a near ruptured appendix when I was seven. I got taken in, and the doctor said, if you'd have waited any longer, he probably wouldn't be here. His, his appendix is big as a sausage, you know. Uh, then a few years later, when I was 10, you know, we're out at the camp at Rock Lake. I spent a lot of years out at the camp. If I wasn't in a week of camp, I was just out there hanging out with Craig Gates, who was a, a camp manager's son and one of my good college buddies and missionary now down in Mexico. And uh, 
we'd be playing basketball and the the net for the basketball hoop became torn and so I was this skinny little 10 year old and uh, they said well we'll just lift Tom up and he can grab a hold of that net and pull that off well I grabbed a hold of the net and they let go of me and the net gave way and I fell and landed on my head 10 feet uh, and that next thing I remember I'm waking up at home uh, you know I don't know how long I was out, but I survived that. Um, and uh, so, you know, those kind of things kind of make me, as I look back, I realized God was kind of hanging on to me, for, you know, uh, overcoming my stupidity, if you would, and my, my foolishness, as I think he was preparing me for something. And I think he'd called me and he wanted me to do this. And You know, I spent my summers at camp at Rock Lake, and in all that, I, I just... I really believe that God was keeping me for the ministry to which he was calling me. As a result of being out at camp, I was influenced by faithful and humble ministers of God like Mike Grange, Justin Shepard, who took time out of their ministry schedules and sometimes took their own vacations to come and lead youth camp. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, just uh, they didn't have to do that. It wasn't in their contract, but they felt so strongly about it. And we didn't have youth ministers back in that day. Mm -hmm. And so they would do it, and they would plan and prepare, and sometimes they would lead and sing. Mike Grange was a, I kind of patterned my, in a sense, my preaching style a little bit after him because he was one of the first guys I knew growing up who used a lot of humor in his messages. Mm -hmm. You know, it was pretty straight-laced when I was a kid growing up yeah. but man Mike Grange he could he could tell you what you didn't want to hear and make you love it and laugh about it <laughs> you know what I mean yeah. and uh, Justin Shepard was uh, not so much humor but his stories and his illustrations just were so vibrant and so you know they were leading at camp and that was an influence and I was also influenced by uh, you can't uh, our listeners can't see it but there's a sign above my door that says Northman and uh, for years, there was mm -hmm. Northman Ministries up in the uh, uh, northern part of the lower peninsula of Michigan. And uh, Mike Steer, who was a distant cousin and a good friend of my granddad, was one of the founding members along with uh, uh, Edsel Dale. And uh, I grew up attending those meetings in the Northwoods. Later on, became a, a board of the directors member and, and helped lead that until it concluded after 50 years. But Mike was always talking to me about going into ministry. He was always putting his hand on my shoulder. You know, you really need to think about preaching, Yeah, he'd say. You know, So there were guys like that who, who purposefully encouraged other people to go into ministry. Same thing, he did that with my brother as well and so he's in ministry as well and so uh, not only that but you know while I was at camp as a, in junior high school that's when I made my commitment I decided that I was honestly uh, that was youth ministry had started to get up on the rise and churches were hiring men to specialize in that and so uh, I decided I was going to be a youth minister. Because you want to stand up in front of all those people. Yeah, all of a sudden, Martin, you know. Right. Yeah, I still couldn't. Right. I, I mean, I that. still, sure. uh, it was hard for me to get up and to talk in front of people. But I just compelled, you know. I don't I don't know how to say it in the other word. It, it, it just, I had to. 
And Andy Hansen was a great youth minister in our area from Grand Rapids. Andy then, yeah, he became president of Christ and Youth out in Joplin, Missouri. And he was, he was one of the guys who led when I was in junior high camp. And he was one of the, you know, the deans and, and, uh, and so I just influenced there, and then and when I got to Bible college, he was one of the adjunct professors in the youth ministry department, and just a powerful influence before he left to go out to CIY. And uh, so, you know, I think about all these godly men who poured their lives into me and how God was uh, using them, and, uh, you know, some of them, some of them were powerful preachers, some were just humble servants, quiet serving on the uh, sidelines. I, I failed to mention uh, another guy, uh, Craig Gates' dad, High Gates. Uh, people who have been in Michigan know High Gates for years, camp manager at Rock Lake. And just, he was one of those guys that if he saw you standing around, he'd say, hey, I got something for you to do. I need you to go go do this. Go, go keep you busy. And he'd give you a purpose, you know. And, right. uh, and just... Uh, and just they kind of became kind of an adjunct part of their family, the Gates family, you know, and because Craig and I were best friends, and we got into all kinds of trouble, and then God used us both in ministry. But, and, you know, I think about this, in all of that, I realize, and I know that God uses humble vessels, weak vessels, broken vessels. And, and the reason I say that is because, listen, I was not a good student. Uh, it's, what amazes me is that my son graduated valedictorian of his class, not me. I was <laughs> in the bottom half of my class at Vesterberg High School. Now, a part of the reason for that is I wear glasses and I wear hearing aids. I've worn hearing aids since I was 9 or 10 years old. So I d- couldn't see or hear. And when I, my whole growing up years in high school, things were kind of tough financially. I didn't have glasses or hearing aids, and I sat in the back of the class. Not a good combination for learning, right? So I didn't do very well in high school, and I did a little better at Great Lakes, um, but not much until my senior year where I, I got real serious and I made straight A's, and that was first time that ever happened, and uh, I think I shocked the family, you know. <laughs> but, uh, you know, while I was there, uh, even though people have asked me this question, how can you sing like you do when you have hearing loss? Yeah. You know? Or, but I've always loved to sing, loved to listen to music and sing music. And so when I got to Great Lakes, um, I traveled in their, whatever you call it, their traveling singing group called Light of the World mm-hmm. for, for camps for all summer. And then the next year, traveled in their two-man preaching team uh, and, you know, honed my chops a little bit there for preaching and learned from the other guy that was with me and uh, had a great time and just met people and made contacts. And and I look back and I think, why, you know, I, I didn't even want to really speak in front of people. I was going to be a youth minister so I could work, you know, more in the background. Right. But God was pushing me into situations. And uh, so I graduated from Great Lakes I joined Operation Evangelize in 1983 in a singing team, traveling evangelistic ministry in a regional office in Olney, Illinois, home of the white squirrel, by the way. Oh, wow. 
<laughs> and uh, hope our listeners take note of that. Yeah, because you go if you go to Alney and you run over a white squirrel, it's a hundred dollar fine. Just so you know that. So yeah, they dictate their white squirrels very seriously in <laughs> in Alney, <laughs> Illinois. But uh, you know, we we I went down there and and joined this this group. I didn't know anybody. Uh, met up with four other people from different parts of the country, and we formed this group, and we traveled for 12 weeks straight in camps, and then it took about three days off, and then we traveled out to uh, Spokane, Washington, and down to Colorado and Utah, and just singing evangelistic, uh, preaching, that sort of thing. And uh, then the next year, in 1984, my wife, Rhonda, who you've already mentioned, is part of the Melton family singers, her dad, George, uh, um, we met and kind of took a shine to each other, uh, although uh, we had a rule in the group that you couldn't date anybody in the group. Right. So Rhonda and I like to tell people that we didn't date until our honeymoon. You know, <laughs> we liked each other an awful lot. We got married, but we didn't date until our honeymoon in 1985, and then we continued to travel out of Alney for another five years. Uh, we incorporated some different people. Some of the others left. Rhonda and I were the. I became the regional office director, and uh, we we traveled together in camps, and and I preached, and we sang, and we had some other people in and out. And then we moved over to uh, Chesapeake, Ohio, for about a year, in 1989. And uh, our daughter, our second daughter Anna, was born. First daughter Elise was born in Olney, and then our second daughter Anna was born. And that's when Rhonda looked at me and said, "It's time to get off the road." She said, "You know, our kids need a little bit more stable environment." And and she would know. She spent a lot of her life that's on right. the road. Yeah, she yeah. did. She yeah. understood. The, you know the difficulty of it. I mean, right. we, you know, like you guys do, we would go do a revival and might start on uh, Friday night and go Friday through Sunday mm-hmm. and be down in Kentucky or or even farther away. And we might drive back that night and get back at three in the morning. Yeah. And uh, now they weren't in school yet, but it still, it was, it was tough. And right. so she, you know, kind of, she's uh, kind of was the voice of the Lord, if you want, <laughs> in yeah. that situation. And she said, we need to uh, think about something different. And right at that time, we had done a week of camp up in Michigan with an old friend of mine from college named Phil Beaverth. He was senior minister at Duplain Church of Christ. And he said, I'm looking for a youth minister. He said, I think you'd fill the bill. Now, it's interesting. I had trained for youth ministry, and we were in Operation Evangelism, our Evangelized Ministries, OEM as we called it, and it was more geared to youth, but I'll be very honest, I don't think I was a very good youth minister. <laughs> I, I really don't think I was. I mean, we went to Duplain, uh, and just simply by the grace of God, we went from about, oh, eight or ten kids to about 40 uh, junior, senior high kids there. Um, I, I think almost in spite of myself, you know. But Phil would let me preach about every month or every other month. And... I had one guy come up and he said, I think that God got a better plan for you than a youth ministry. He said, I really think God wants you to be preaching. And and I started to be more open to that. Mm -hmm. So, you know, five years in, uh, that ministry ended and I took my first church, Algonac 
Church of Christ over in the Thumb in the Blue Water area, as we call it. Uh, it's just Algonac is on the kind of north side of Detroit, up a little bit between Detroit and Port Huron, Michigan. And really, it's it's over there where you don't go through Algonac on the way to anywhere else because it's 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 over on the knuckle of the thumb, if you can imagine that. And you right. have to drive kind of out of your way to get there. You go from Detroit to Port Huron, and you miss it, really. You right. have to drive 18, 19 miles out of the way. So it's right across the river from Canada. So we were over there in kind of a no-man's land, even though it was a beautiful area, uh, kind of a resort area. And I spent 13 years uh, preaching there. Because, you know, once I got started... I told Ron, I said, I don't want to be one of these preachers that I grew up knowing were there two and a half, three years, and then moved to another ministry. Two and a half, three years, and then moved right. to another ministry. I said, I can't imagine what that does to a family, you know. Mm-hmm. And I always wanted to put down roots and to be one of those guys that stayed at a church for a long time. I listened to one of the earlier podcasts that you did, and a guy went to a church, and I think he stayed like 40 years, and... And I'm like, wow, that would be, if you could find it. Is that Danny Horton from Mississippi? Yes, that's Danny Horton. Yeah, he went yeah. to fill in. He's one who yeah. went to fill in. They finally said you're hired after 30 Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And I just thought, you know, it, because you be, then you become, you're not just the preacher, you're a family. Right. You know what I mean? Right. And you're not the hired hand. And that's a, that's a real bad situation when the church looks at the preachers. Yeah, and I, I literally had at a ministry, I won't say which one it was, but I did have a guy come up to me and he was angry about some things that were going on in church and he was angry at me and he was angry at my youth ministry and I was kind of defending both of us and I said, man, you treat us like we're just the hired hand. And he said, well, you are. Yeah, I've been and, through that more times than I can count. I was, sure. I was really taken back by that, but it made me realize that that can be a problem. And so I just determined that I wanted to stay long enough. You know, my daughters weren't born and out at that place, but they graduated high school, so we were there long enough for that to become right. their home. They still think of that as their home. And so I think, you know, if a, if a minister can go and put down roots... And come not just to think of the people as people to be preached at, but people to love that are my family that I want to come to know Jesus. That's right. That's the best way to do it. So, you know, we stayed there 13 years, and then my dad passed away. And uh, yeah, he was 80. My mom was 77, 76, 77. About a year or so after that, we decided it was time to go home. You know, and uh, be there for my mom. And uh, so we did and spent nine years at my home church, which, you know, I I think that's significant because a lot of people say you can never go home. And, uh, you know, there were some some good times and maybe some times that were more difficult than I would have liked them. But there were some wonderful, wonderful people at that church. And I really believe that you know, Ron and I look back at that ministry, and it's not the biggest church, and sometimes it struggles. And so we ask ourselves, you know, why were we there? You know, we didn't we didn't knock down the walls. You know, we did increase attendance. We did have, you know, our influence in our community. We sent out missionaries. But, you know, as far as exploding like some churches do, that never happened. But I think 
that I was there to comfort that church because in the first three years of my ministry, I buried 20 people that I had grown up respecting. Uh. Families. And, and I wasn't just this minister from somewhere else that they didn't know that was comforting them. I was that little little Tommy boy that was spent time in their house as a kid, and now I was, you know, a grown man. And so when I came and I said words of comfort. It meant a, it, it meant it, a great deal. Yeah, it did, because, you know, with, uh, with my buried my Sunday school teacher from for all those years just a wonderful man and and just to spend time with them and and so many others elders former elders you know that had retired or that were getting up in age and actually you know some women who had supported me at college sent me little bits of money when I went off to Bible college and so you know I said that was Maybe that was my ministry for that time, just to be there in a time when they needed, there was great loss in that church, and they needed that comfort. And so, you know, I count that as a blessing uh, to be able to do that. And then, you know, we left, and we, our time was done, and we went to uh, Mount Pleasant, Michigan, First Church of Christ there, and, and we didn't stay very long, but... Uh, when we got ready to leave, one of the elders uh, got up and said, you know, there's a season and a time for everything. And, and, and Tom came at a time when there was some, there was a little bit of turmoil and we needed a steady hand. And so I was there, not for a long time, three and a half years. And then right in the middle of the pandemic, you know, Rhonda and I were talking about, uh, is, this, is this where we're meant to stay? We sensed that that wasn't. And sometimes it's hard to know, but we just sensed that there was something else that we needed to be doing. Um, maybe they needed someone different in the next stage of their uh, life and ministry. And uh, we, this church, we got in contact with this church. Basically, what I told Rhonda was, you know, Rhonda, you have followed me all over. You know, and you've been, you've gone to Michigan, you've left where your family was, and then they left and went, and you've been away from your family. You know, you've traveled with them off and on, but still haven't lived close to them. Mm-hmm. And her dad was gone by this time. George had passed away, and her mom was living in Franklin, Indiana, on the south side of Indianapolis. And I said, why don't you just take a map and you put Franklin right in the middle of that map, and you just, within a couple hours radius, just check and see what churches are open and see how God... And I'd never done that before because I've right. always been... I'd wait for a church to contact me. Right. Uh, but I just felt strongly that I needed to do that sure. for Rhonda. And I said, so you can be close to your mom. And uh, her brother Kenny and her brother David were all moved into that area. And uh, we looked at a couple churches and uh, the other churches just kind of fell away. And Salisbury stuck out, and um, man, when they contacted me, and it was really kind of funny because I sent them this resume, and and I got an email back from the secretary that said, uh, I'm sorry, but you you haven't made the second round of uh, interviews. And I told Ron, okay, (laughs) about... The very next day, early in the morning, I got this, I am so sorry, what I meant to say was, you have made the next round of interviews. <laughs> and she was so embarrassed, you know, and, and uh, so, uh, you know, so, well, hey, either way, we're just thrilled to be able to do whatever. And so the process, you know, right in the middle of the pandemic was not easy. Right. 
you know, we couldn't get here. Everybody was kind of under lockdown. So we were, uh, you know, our chairman, church chairman, who's one of our elders, Mark Eckerly, he said, we really want to get you here to interview you. And I said, that's great. So we're going to hold, we're going to postpone it, hold off. And it just never happened. And so we did a Zoom meeting with the search committee, which was made up of numerous different people within the congregation, a real diverse group. I loved it. We had a wonderful meeting. And then we're, they were able to get us down to meet with the elders. And uh, that went great. And so we came to Salisbury in August of 2020. Now, uh, uh, tragic or just a, all a part of God's timing, God's plan, their previous minister's name was Tom, Tom Cooperwriter. And he'd been here for about a year, a little less than a year and a half. And he died very early on, suddenly in 2020, at like 52 years of age. Oh. And so they were grieving, but they were wanting to keep the momentum that he had started going. And so, uh, you know, followed after him and uh, continued to, a big shoes to fill. Tom was a great guy. I wish I had known him personally. I honestly, as I got to talking, he was actually in Michigan as a kid in high school, junior high. I think I probably had him in camp while I was a camp leader. We just yeah. don't know it for sure. But so, you know, we've been here uh, since August and pandemic, obviously. And, you know, it, it's been a wonderful experience, honestly. It's filled with friendly, warm, loving people who want to serve God and love people. And I have a great group of guys for elders who are both serious about the gospel and serious about caring for the body and for my family as well, which I really appreciate that. And uh, we have three full-time and three part-time staffers. And so that's that's where we sat today. You know, we're affected by the pandemic like everybody else. But now Salisbury is a, it's a very rural setting, but you're pretty close to a, to a big city, big university. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we sat 12 miles outside of Bloomington, Indiana, home of Indiana University. I had to learn how to say that because I said University of Indiana, and I got put in my place real quick. It's <laughs> Indiana University. And obviously, as a large college town, uh, Bloomington is very diverse. Yes. Monroe County is very diverse and very liberal. Mm -hmm. uh, but the surrounding countryside of southern Indiana is one of the most conservative areas that I've ever lived. Not, not uh, hurtful or hateful, uh, just very conservative sure. in their their uh, beliefs and in their theology and um, and so we live you know we're, we're outside of town 12 mile uh, but and I grew up in a farming community I would not call this a farming community it's more like a ranch ranch community there are right. people who have cows cattle uh, Angus cattle all dotting all over the hillsides but they don't you know, when when I was a kid, we had to till the ground, and we had to grow hay, and we had to grow corn and mm -hmm. to feed them. They let them graze mostly here, and so um, so they're not really farmers; they're more ranchers. We have people who work for Indiana University. People work for a, one of the largest medical supply companies in the country, is in Bloomington, and then a number of our people work for a place called Crane Naval Stockyard. It is the it is the second largest U.S. naval base in the world, and it's landlocked. Really? Yeah. 
So you know they have like a, there's like three to three to five thousand people on that base, and uh, n numerous of them are civilians, and so our people. So we have a lot of professional people, but uh, a lot of teachers, a lot of administrators. Um, you know we have some ranchers, but and some people just hard working folk who you know work uh, doing difficult things, but uh, just a good group, real diverse group of people. You know, uh, I'll say this, we're not, we're probably not uh, racially real diverse just because of the area sure. that we're in. But right. uh, we do have, we've had some folks that have come and, and uh, they're very warm, welcome, and loving. And so I've always appreciated that. I feel good about that here right. anyway. So, so all told, how many years would, have you been in, in ministry? Let's see. I, graduated, I couldn't add it up. Yeah, well, I graduated in '83, and I started traveling ministry in '83, and uh, we did that for about uh, six, seven years, seven years. Um, then I've been in located ministry since 1995, years as a youth minister, and in '95, uh, preaching ministry. So I guess that comes up to about uh, 25. 30 years in located ministry and another seven traveling ministries. So about 37 years. Yeah, I was, yeah. I was kind of figuring out around close yeah, to 40. Yeah, so yeah. That, that's yeah. pretty good. Well, your current ministry, you've kind of told us a little bit about it, but uh, how have you, have you dealt with the uh, change with the pandemic? Because uh, we were talking the other night, you were saying that they were hoping to, to break the 200 barrier mm -hmm. when you got here and then course the pandemic and all that was going on with that right um, how are you addressing that and, and, and how is the congregation handling that yeah. well you know our numbers are not obviously what they used to be if you're just looking at attendance um, we they were up to about 170 and one of the things that they put out they said we want to try to break that 200 barrier well then we had the pandemic and of course they spent about six weeks to two months with the doors closed doing video uh, preaching, that sort of thing, and people kind of got in the habit of not attending, yeah. you know. And uh, uh, they had their reasons, and not every church did that, but they did. And then as we came back, it was gradually we had people had masks, and we distanced, you know, and then we came back together and we took off the mask. And ever since then, it's been pretty regular in in worship on Sunday, Sunday school, uh, and trying to expand our small group ministry. Now, one of the things that I missed, because I know this church, I've been told, was so good about it, was we just haven't had a lot of large fellowship meal-type opportunities. And uh, they were really good about that. And there's still that concern that we don't want to get too close contact like that. And... and uh, you know how you feel about that is to me is uh, here nor there. I'm I, I'm uh, I have my feelings about that, but I I don't want to offend people about that issue in a way that would create a barrier for them coming to church. Right, it's just not worth it for right. me. You know, and so my my personal feelings are less important than you know how can we make people feel comfortable? What can we do so that they feel safe? So you know we have about 125. We're back down from our 175, and then we have another 50 or so who are watching online, and mm -hmm. and they respond, you know, a little. They type in, and and we try to communicate with them as much as possible, and 
I'll be very honest. Uh, I have a, a, a weekly kind of a Monday morning thing that I write out and I send out. We, put, we send it out in the newsletter, but I put it on Facebook. It's called Tom's Two Cents. And sometimes that's about all that it's worth. Uh, you know, well, I, I read one that, uh, last night. I thought it was worth at least three or four cents. Yeah, well, maybe, maybe a nickel. Yeah. I don't Occasionally, know, you know, I hit it. Good. I hit it out of the infield. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, uh, but uh, and I just try to keep encouraging our people. Uh, I, I think I, you, you mentioned this even in um, uh, the last podcast that I listened to with Mister Horton uh, was that I keep talking about how important it is. Yeah, yeah, you can. You can be a Christian and, and not attend church. I don't think you can be as strong of a Christian as you should be, but I really believe that we are better when we're together. Yes. We are, we are better. We're, you know, and and I, I might have mentioned this to you the other night, that you, know, you can go out in the woods and you can sing to God at the top of your voice and it will honor Him, but He knows that it's better if you do it with other people when you mm-hmm. worship and praise. Because, I think I said this, he doesn't need our praise. God doesn't need our praise. That doesn't, you know, whether we praise him or don't praise him, that doesn't change one thing about his character or his nature or his love or his power. We don't contribute to that. Right. You know, we honor him because... Because of that. Because of that. Right. And when we do that, it makes us better. I mean, yeah. there's something about singing... In a crowd of people, you know, with the music and lifting our voices to God and hearing other people sing and, and other people, you, just the look on their faces or the response of their worship to God, there's just something about that so important. And so as I write that, you know, the, listen, we, we've mentioned this before in Hebrews 10:25. don't give up the meeting of the saints as some are in the mm-hmm. habit of doing, but, but stay with it and come together right. and and encourage one another, and then I like that last phrase, and all the more as you see the day, which is the day of his return, approaching. And so many people are talking about that right now because of what's happened. And, and I'm one who, who has always said, Tom, that uh, people say, well, it must be the Lord's return because see what's happening to America. Well, I'm a very uh, patriotic American, mm-hmm. but America is not the center of the universe. And God has used America, and if he wants to wait to send his son and use China or some other country or Vietnam or whoever it might be to send out missionaries next because we've dropped the ball, then he may do that. But while everybody is thinking, well, the Lord may be returning, and and, and what are we going to do about that? Well, how about meeting together all the more as we see the day approaching and coming around the table in remembrance of what he has done and in looking forward to his return, that we do not need to give these things up. And uh, I'm a pretty stubborn guy, and you know that. You've, mm-hmm. you've been yeah. with me, and and you know we we only gave it up for six weeks last, in, in 2020, and that's because uh, everyone wanted to try to, all right, we'll give this a try. And th- some of them were still having church. But as one church in Pennsylvania said, uh, well, uh, everybody said, well, let's go ahead and have them have the revival. Uh, most churches in Pennsylvania were shutting down. They were not going to. And one of the elders, uh, and I'm thankful for this, told them, you know, the Weavers live more than a thousand miles away. And on the way here, they may have to stop and go to the bathroom. And, you know, the rest stops are closed and everything's closed. Let, let's at least wait until the end of May. And so they put it off to the end of May and we were able to come. 
and had a, a, a great revival with him. Right. But uh, I, I just believe that there is there there is a reason. Don't forsake the assembly, and it's not so God can check our our name, put a check by our name in a big black book. Right. It's because we need it. We need to see one another. And uh, and as I've said throughout this thing, and people say you're crazy, but I've said it. If you want a hug, I'll give you a hug. Mm-hmm. I, and that was way back right. at the beginning. Of course, more people are hugging now, and yeah. and uh, at least in 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 the circles I'm traveling in, sure. more of them are hugging, right. saying, you know, right. I'm 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 over this. Yeah. And, I, and that might be more true of some of our smaller churches than our bigger churches. Yeah. Because uh, I think you know smaller churches tend to be populated by families that know each other. Right. That's and uh, true. Yeah. But uh, I've always been a hugger, and yeah. I appreciate that. And uh, but try to be kind because you know there's some oh, yeah. some ladies in our church, and I come up and one in particular I, I I always forget, and I reach out my hand to. To, to shake her hand and she kind of pulls back and does this fist thing you know yeah. like uh and and she is unable to be vaccinated and so she's being very cautious and i respect that sure but she still comes to church but you know i do believe that we are better together yeah i think god's word is very clear we're better together jesus you know said we're two or three are gathered in my name there i am in the midst of them and the, one of the reasons that we're better together is because we're not alone that's right. And I think God's presence is greater when we're together. Right. And and, and be respectful. I, I, mm-hmm. I, I want to be respectful. And I always tell people, you know, I'll I will I will hug you if you want a hug. I will I will shake your hand, fist bump, elbow tap, or just wave from across the room. Whatever you want, mm-hmm. that's fine. I'm glad you're here. Right. And and I appreciate you. And the churches that make the choice to to uh close down, I I don't agree with that, but as I've said, I'm not the elders making that decision. Right, right. So I'm respectful of the fact that they have to answer the Lord for the decisions they make. Yeah, yeah. And I may disagree with them, but I am not there, and and that is not my responsibility in that locale, and that's why we are autonomous congregations. Yeah. And I want to be respectful of that, and respectful of that, and pray and hope that they have prayed and not just jumped on a bandwagon, and they've prayed about this. Right. And, and gone by the Lord's, dis- you know, the, God's leading. Right. You know? Well, and here's the thing. I, I've had people, we, we still have some people that, that haven't come back. And they're fearful. And I understand that fearful is a strong emotion. Fear is a strong emotion. And, uh, you know, one of them said to me, we're just going to wait until this all blows over. <laughs> and I, I, I just looked at them and I said, uh, then I don't think you'll ever be back to that's, church because right. I don't think this is ever going to completely blow over. And I no. hope I don't disappoint anybody by saying that. But no. I just think that to a certain degree, like the flu, like some of these other things, this is here to stay. It's it a part of our life. And we can either stop living and stop ministering and stop working, or we can say the ministry of the gospel is more important than the fear of what might happen. Now, it's not to say that it's not real. The, vac- the, the pandemic is real. We've all known people. Yes, who, and, I and buried who, friends. Yes, and yeah. who died uh, as a result of this. And it's, it's real, and it's tragic, but we can't be defeated by this. Well, so many other things are real and tragic. Yeah. Uh, the flu, mm-hmm. auto accidents that happen every day that take our lives and we don't not get an automobile because of auto accidents. Right. Uh, 
yeah, be cautious with your yeah. life. Wait, I mean, let, let's let's walk circumspectly, as Ephesians says. Know what's happening around us. Yeah. But to stop living yeah. and to stop serving Christ, uh, I can't do that until I stop breathing. And if it's if it's COVID that causes me causes that for me, then that's what it. And I have had COVID. Right. And, as and, have Rhonda and, and I. And, so and it was very severe. And and people laugh at me when I say I was COVID when COVID wasn't cool, but I actually got it after a big international convention I went to in nineteen when nobody knew what it was, right. and I I really spent two weeks on my back thinking I'll never be able to 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 stand in a pulpit again. Right. And we didn't know what it was, so we treated it like we treat any type of illness. Right. And thankfully, I'm in good physical condition for my age, and and. Uh, and using the things that we used, we believe that that, along with prayer, right. prayer, we believe that just got us through it, and and we're we're back out here. And I know how bad it can be, and do I want to have it again? No, but I'm not going to stay in my right. house. I, I'm going to worship the Lord. And if if you are susceptible to catching the, the flu and the flu's going around, then you should stay home. Right. If you've got the flu, right. please don't bring it to me. <clears throat> sure. I don't want it. Right. Well, that's any you any know, kind anything, of uh, you know. communicable right. disease. And, and you know, and I have to say this: I I believe that this is real, uh, but I believe that it's not something that we mean need to be defeated by. And I, I sometimes get a little bit concerned about folks within the body of Christ who jump on the conspiracy bandwagon. And, I, and yeah. I, I just, you know, listen, we don't know. There's so much about this that we don't know. We, we don't have to, you don't have to be radical one way or the other on this. Just right. be safe and be yeah. faithful is the way I, I look at it. That. Yeah. You know, be right. safe and be faithful and don't, you know, uh, be smart at the same time that you you still do the work of the Lord, and that's yeah. what we're trying to do. You know, it, it's interesting. We we were pretty strict for a while, but since we came back, even through the second surge, we've been completely open, mm-hmm. and we've been very blessed. There have been l- people within the church that have gotten it, but none of them have actually gotten it at church, which right. is interesting. We've had staff members that were out doing something with somebody else, and got it and called and said, I can't come to church for two weeks. I'm under quarantine. You know, right. that's happened to Rhonda and I. We were in Tennessee at my daughter's. They got yeah. it. They gave it to us. We called and said, uh, came home, got tested positive and told the guys, you know, we can't be to church for two weeks. So, right. uh, you know, be safe, but don't let this, don't let this defeat you and don't, don't uh, cave in. And, you know, part of my fear in the midst of this is that we, as a result of doing, of caving into this, this defeatism of the pandemic, we create bad habits of staying home from church. And I know that we are the church, and wherever we're at, we're the church. But the church is better together, and yes, we're stronger together, and we learn better together, and we worship better together, and we remember the blood, blood and body of Christ better together there's something about being together and god commanded it and so we should be faithful um to to stick to it and and it might be hard sometimes but we need to be doing hard things yes we do all over the world people are giving up their lives giving up their heads mm-hmm. for christ and and uh we in a lot of locations we're hiding under our pews 
And I, I've probably said this on another podcast, Tom. So if, uh, I apologize to those who are faithful listeners to our podcast. But so many people started going to church because they found out they were going to die. And they wanted to, they, they wanted hope. Now they're staying away from church because they're afraid they're going to die. Yeah. 9-11. <laughs> well, boy, didn't that, I mean, our <clears throat> church at, yeah. at Algonac, we grew almost by 75% after 9-11. Right, uh, because their mortality came into full view and full focus, and right. you know they're trying to figure out, and you know, and then after that kind of got well, I guess we are going to live. Then a lot of them, you know, well, faded we, off. We've spent quite a bit of time on on this particular subject, and and if Lord, if the Lord tarries fifty years from now, somebody may be listening to this podcast thinking, "Wow," and maybe they'll be going through something else, and they'll say. Maybe they'll they'll gain some hope from this. And oh, either that or they'll think this guy's a kook. But that, that. That's, that, that, that was the other thing I was going to say. Very quickly, because we don't have a lot of time left, uh, greatest challenge that you see ahead. Let, let's just narrow this down. I normally give it in three parts, but let's just say, uh, pick one of them for the church, for ministers, uh, uh, or for individual Christians. Mm-hmm. Just just try to pick one of those yeah. greatest yeah, challenges no, ahead. Well, that's tough. I think, um, I think, uh, fear might be one of our greatest challenges. The fear of the pandemic, but also fear of... I mean, we're in a divided country, right? Yeah. Politically. Mm-hmm. And so we fear some of these things that are really new to us that are ungodly. I'm going to be very honest. There's some ungodly things that are happening in our school systems and in our political arena, and we fear that. And so we respond in a, in a fearful response instead of a loving, godly response of, okay, I'm not going to kick you out or ignore you or berate you or whatever. I'm going to love you and show you the love of Christ. So I think right. fear is something that we're, 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 sometimes Christians are not handling that fear very well. And I, I worry that we become unkind even. Right. You know, I mean, I've, I watch on Facebook and both sides, there's a lot of, unkindness going on saying we're throwing stones at each other and i i think the electronic age and i I think social media has helped people of all backgrounds become unkind Mm -hmm. because uh maybe they started thinking well i'm i'm just doing this on the computer and they don't realize how how widespread it's become we're uh a lot of people there's an age group one site shows that the age group of maybe early to mid-20s to late 30s they're moving away from social media at tremendous rates. Mm-hmm. Um, as as a ministry, we are uh, we're we are in the next year minimalizing our use of Facebook. We we got to continue to use it because so many churches are still on it, and right. we have to communicate with them that way. But we're using other options. We we we've tried some others, and now we're using uh, the Telegram app. And by the time this comes out, maybe we might not. But I I don't know. But we're trying to find other ways to communicate. But I think you're right. Fear is the thing that that I see like I've never seen before. And God did not give us a spirit of fear, right. did he? Right. No. So let's uh let's try not to let fear overtake us. Right. And let's let God overtake us with Absolutely. his Holy Spirit. Yeah. And and uh trust. We need to trust and I think yeah. trust and and love with the love that God loves. Right. So well, Tom, I appreciate you taking time to, to work with me today and, and uh, just uh, have this talk. And uh, I would say to our listeners, again, if this podcast has 
uh, encouraged you in any way or been good for you, uh, please share it with your friends and co-workers in Christ. And until next time, this is Evangelist Tom Weaver saying goodbye, and may God pour down his blessings on you like a Mississippi rain.